What's in store this holiday at your local Staples? Gifts and packages shipped with care. So you can relax in knowing they'll soon be there. Now at Staples, you get 15% off UPS shipping services and 15% off all shipping supplies. Plus, Staples is open seven days a week. So you can ship around your schedule this holiday. And still get everything out in time while spending less. Staples, there's a whole lot in store this holiday. Exclusions apply. In-store only. See associate for details. Ends 1229-18. about to witness a seismic event. Now, let the party begin. Your healthy radio addiction starts now. I'm a world's motorcycle madhouse on iHeartRadio. And welcome to episode 65. I'm James Hollywood Machikari, and this week on Motorcycle Madhouse Radio Podcast, we have an article by Double D in regards to the Mongol MC losing the first round to the government in the patch case everybody's talking about. We also have David Walters coming up, as well as my opinion on those out there going around crying and whining about how protocol is in the motorcycle club scene. So stay tuned and let's kick some butt. Ladies and gentlemen, don't want to fuck with. Your mouth all glued up with cunny juice. I asked you a question. Oh my God, this girl's really turning me on. Suck me sideways. Are you going to pull those pistols and whistle Dixie? On this first segment, we're going to listen to Steven Stubbs. He just put out a video on his YouTube channel, which uh, you can actually get the link below in the uh, description box or the show notes. And he's going to tell us uh, what's going on with the case and what the government needs to do to secure the Mongols patch. So let's go listen in. My name is Steven Bowtie Stubbs. Um, I am general counsel for the Mongols Motorcycle Club. Uh, and I sat second chair, or am sitting second chair, in the Mongols' patch trial, the Save the Patch trial, uh, in Santa Ana, California, and there was a verdict yesterday. Um, and I want to explain to the motorcycle community exactly what happened, um, how it happened, and, and uh, what it means uh, to your patch. Um, so yesterday, uh, December 13th, uh, 2018, uh, Mongols' nation uh, was was found guilty of racketeering and conspiracy to commit racketeering under the RICO Act, the Racketeer Influence Corruption Act. Um, now, uh, the RICO Act is, is a very broad, um, uh, broad law, and it was meant to be so by Congress. It was meant to, to take down the mob. I don't think it was ever meant uh, to attack a motorcycle club and try to take away their patch and their identity and something that's so important to them. Um, and I think this is all a giant waste of money. But that aside, um, if they can do three things, if the government can do three things, uh, they can take away the Mongols' patch, and then they can use that to take away everybody's patches. Because one thing that was crystal clear in this trial is that it wasn't just the Mongols on trial, but it was biker culture in general. The government hates uh, biker culture. Uh, the government hates um, the, the very idea that, uh, that if you're not hurting anybody, you should be able to do anything you want, um, because laws are meant to control people. And 
And that became very, very evident uh, during trial. But in any case, <clears throat> if the government can do three things, they have to go through all three phases and be successful in all three phases, they get to take the patch. Number one, the substantive RICO um, or RICO conspiracy. They have, they had to get a jury to say beyond a reasonable doubt that Mongols nation um, uh, committed RICO or uh, was in a conspiracy to commit RICO. Uh, that's number one. Um, and they did that. And I'll explain that in a minute. Uh, number two, uh, they then have to prove a nexus under preponderance of the evidence. They have to show the jury that there was a nexus or a connection between the patch um, and uh, the, the RICO or sub sub substantive RICO. Um, and if the government passes that one as well, then it goes on to the third. And the third is the First Amendment challenge. Um, now, Judge Carter has already issued a First Amendment ruling and dismissed this case on First Amendment grounds uh, because the wearing of patches and uh, and the group having these patches um, is uh, is protected by the First Amendment. And Judge Carter, who's a fantastic judge, the best I've ever seen, um, he said that. Um, however, it got appealed to the Ninth Circuit, and the Ninth Circuit didn't overrule him. What they did is they said that that issue isn't ripe until after the forfeiture stage. And so they basically said, you didn't do this at the right time. You have to give the government a shot. You've got to give the opportunity uh, for the government to prove their case. Then if it passes uh, the substantive phase, if it passes the forfeiture phase, then you can decide First Amendment, and then we, the, the Ninth Circuit can hear any appeals, or even the Supreme Court. So, <clears throat> so uh, this is a novel, novel case. This is the very first time the government has ever charged RICO on an organization without naming any individuals in the indictment. Um, so they had already convicted um, people of doing everything that's included inside this uh, this uh, RICO indictment. Uh, but they decided to take the extra step uh, to spend millions and millions of dollars to go after the patch. Okay, so let's let's talk about what happened in the last six weeks. Um, it, was a, it was a pretty much a six-week trial. The jury deliberated for seven days. Uh, and, uh, oh, and the verdict came back guilty. Um, however, there were charges in the indictment of both acts outside of when Ruben Dotkavasas was president of the Mongols and acts uh, during when Ruben Dotkavasas was president of the Mongols. And we're talking about, if you look it up, it's called Black Rain. It was an investigation by the ATF in the Mongols Motorcycle Club when Ruben Doc Cavazos was president. Now, here's what's important. The Mongols Motorcycle Club polices itself. The Mongols Motorcycle Club has a constitution that says you cannot use the patch for your own personal gain. Uh, gain. It, it's, it's something that's extremely important to them. It's, it's sacrosanct uh, because... That patch represents brotherhood. That patch represents brothers who have died, brothers who are alive, their connection. Uh, there's a military history to it, to where many of the Mongols are members of the military and, and their brothers. There's a connection that Jesse Ventura, a former governor, Jesse Ventura, explained very well in trial of, uh, of when the Mongols started uh, in December 1969. Um, this was after, or actually during Vietnam, when they weren't being treated very well. So there's this huge connection. So 
So the patch is, is really sacred to them. It, it represents their, their brotherhood and their sacrifices and, and, uh, and people that they hold dear. The exact same way that a wedding ring represents um, uh, the, the relationship of the marriage um, and people wear their wedding rings. Um, the patch represents their relationship with their brotherhood. Um, and so, so that's very, very in, in, important to them. So, um, so they have the, the rule in their constitution that says you cannot use your patch for personal gain, gain, and they will kick people out at any time. If, if that happens, um, they also have their constitution that they, they don't let people, um, do, do bad things and uh, be members of the Mongols Motorcycle Club um, if they're doing those bad things. So here's what's important. Ruben Dot Cavazos was an asshole. Ruben Dot Cavazos became president of the Mongols and was a con man. Uh, he, uh, he, he lied to them to get to that point, and he did it for his own selfish reasons. And there is no doubt that he committed crimes. There is no doubt that, um, that during his, uh, his stint as president, uh, some other people committed crimes. Those people have been prosecuted. Those people are paying the price for it. And they were kicked out of the club with extremely few exceptions. It was even brought out at trial. They were kicked out of the club. Um, now, Doc, he was kicked out of the club in August 2008. Important date. August 2008. He was kicked out because the club found out. The club as a whole found out all these things that he was doing. And the club excommunicated him. Expelled him from the club. August 2008. Mongols had no idea at that time that there were any undercovers. They had no idea any time that there had been a years-long investigation. And they had no idea at the time that there was a sealed indictment. And that, um, and that, that indictment was about to to come in on them. In October 2008, two, two months after they found out and they policed themselves and they kicked Duck out, two months after uh, uh, the, uh, in October 2008, the indictment was unsealed and the stings for Oper Operation Black Rain, and you can look it up, Operation Black Rain, it is what it is. Operation Black Rain came down and uh, 79 people were indicted. Most of them pled guilty. Many of them actually uh, pled guilty, even though I believe they weren't guilty, uh, because they were simply pressured to. Um, some were guilty, and they were kicked out of the club. That's that's no doubt as well. But this all went down. But the Mongols kicked Doc out first, before they knew anything. That shows their character. That shows where their head's at. Um, and and and, and I, I'm proud to be their attorney. I'm proud to be their general counsel and to sit second chair with them. So why is this important? Of the nine, they're called predicate acts in the, uh, in the RICO trial. And with RICO, you have to find, or the jury has to find beyond a reasonable doubt that, that uh, the organization um, either expressly or, or implicitly um, ordered or condoned um, uh, Two or more RICO acts, um, not individuals, but 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 that the organization did, um, and and you know importantly there was 
some things inside and outside of Doc's time as president. So, <clears throat> of the of the nine, uh, the jury found that five were proven. Five of them. And the majority of those were drug cases. Um, basically enough drugs uh, to fill about a third of a grocery bag. Total. 49 years of investigating the Mongols Motorcycle Club. And in total, uh, in fact, Joe Yanni had a grocery bag and actually put the actual evidence in the grocery bag to the jury. In 49 years, uh, there was that amount of drugs that the ATF was, was able to prove uh, were sold by members or associates of the Mongols Motorcycle Club. It's kind of de minimis, by the way, but that's not the point. Hey, the point is, uh, they were found not, uh, found guilty on five of the nine. Every one of those was during Doc's reign. Every last one. Everything outside of Doc's time, they were found not guilty, or there was even one to where it was locked uh, 11 to 2. And so that one didn't move forward. Okay. So the government, even though... There was a Mongols Motorcycle Club well before Doc Vassos. And it's very important to a lot of people. And even though the patch belongs to its collective membership um, under, under United States law, um, and even though it's important to all these people, and even though the Mongols Motorcycle Club is not only around, but thriving after Doc was kicked out, even though, the, because the jury found that, um, that the Mongols nation was guilty on those five predicate acts, mostly drugs, five predicate acts, um, the, the Mongols nation was found, um, was found guilty. So, you know, I, I have a hard time with that. I, I have a hard time with with uh, with taking something or holding an entire group responsible for the acts of the few. Now, what the jury clearly thought, what the what the jury clearly concluded, was that because Doc Cavazos was the president of the Mongols Motorcycle Club during that time, that there was um, there was an, an, an order of approval. Um, I, either, you know, directly or indirectly, um, by the Mongols motorcycle club and Mongol nation. Um, you know, we, we argued that these were rogue acts. We argued the truth that, uh, that, you know, there's, there's always bad apples that could spoil the bunch. And, and unlike a lot of organizations, the Mongols actually kicks them out. Um, so they don't spoil the bunch. Uh, but, uh, but we were unsuccessful. And so, yesterday, December 13th, 2018, over a decade after Ruben Dacavazos was kicked out of the Mongols Motorcycle Club, over a decade, um, Mongols Nation was found guilty of RICO on, um, with, under five predicate acts and also found guilty of conspiracy to commit RICO. And the government prevailed on the first of three stages. So what does that mean moving forward? That means that on January 8th, 2019, we go back to court 
and the government has to argue and convince a jury under preponderance of the evidence uh, that there was a nexus. There was a, a, a nexus under the law with the patch in those crimes. And we might just win that. And if we do, the government loses because they have to prevail on all three phases to win. Um, <clears throat> and then, um, if they lose, then they lose, and we win, right? Uh, the Mongols gets to keep their patch. Um, then, on the third phase, if they're successful on the second phase, on, on uh, round three, we get to argue First Amendment grounds. We get to argue that the Constitution protects the wearing of these patches and these symbols, and the government cannot infringe on that. The government cannot take it away. Um, we've already won that argument once. Uh, we plan on winning that argument again, if need be. Um, and frankly, we plan on fighting until there is no, no fight. Uh, Mongols nation stands up to bullies, especially when those bullies are the federal government. Now, now I, I want to, I want to add something. Yesterday morning, while the jury was deliberating, um, we were actually celebrating something that was happening nationwide because for years, the Motorcycle Riders Foundation um, and thousands of people helping them, but spear, or, or spearheaded by the Motorcycle Riders Foundation, um, Hardtail is the main guy. For years, we've been fighting for uh, uh, anti-motorcycle, or I'm sorry, motorcycle anti-profiling. Um, because motorcyclists, just because they're on a motorcycle, are targeted. Um, and that's really what this case is about, too, right? And it's not fair. Um, the profiling, it's, it's, it's not fair. And there's actually laws in place. There's a 2015 decision with Ginsburg from the United States Supreme Court that makes a lot of what uh, the, uh, the police do completely illegal. But they, um, they, they don't obey that. Um, and so we had a huge moment because the United States Senate, um, uh, the day earlier on the 12th, the United States Senate passed a Senate resolution unanimously, bipartisan Senate resolution, recognizing that there was a problem with motorcycle profiling and uh, a resolution for law enforcement to talk to the motorcycle community and uh, and try to solve this this problem. Now the House uh, will likely take up this, uh, their own resolution on the twentieth or twenty first of December. Um, I plan on being there for that too. <clears throat> but last May, hundreds of bikers went to Washington to lobby. I was there. I was there with Hardtail and 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 Spike and and so many other people, uh, and we are all fighting for our rights. And it's been years that the community as a whole has been fighting for these rights and uh, wanting it to be recognized that, hey, profiling is, is happening and it shouldn't. And some states have even passed state laws. And in fact, Nevada, my state, is going to be considering a, a state motorcycle anti-profiling law this legislative session this year. But we got a big win because the Senate, the Senate passed their resolution. The Senate recognized that there was motorcycle profiling, and that we needed to solve this problem. Um, it's a huge win for us. Huge. And so I simply asked directly, ATF agent 
the Chacon. I simply asked him. Um, I, I said, did you hear about it? Did you hear about um, the Senate passing the resolution? U.S. Attorney Steve Welk uh, interrupted us, inserted himself in the conversation, and he mocked it. He mocked the efforts. He was literally laughing and mocked the efforts of the entire motorcycle community, even though the United States Senate unanimously passed the resolution. In effect, he was mocking the United States Senate um, because he was mocking what they did, but he was mocking us. And I took a deep breath and I turned to him and I said, you know, Mr. Welk, you're allowed to have an adult conversation without being dick, right? Um, you're allowed to be, <laughs> you're allowed to have an adult conversation without being a dick. And he, with a completely straight face, not joking at all, he looked right back at me and he said, if you talk to anybody who knows me, you'll find out that no, I can't. And I turned to him and I said, well, then I guess that's something we're just going to agree on. Because the fact of the matter is, U.S. Attorney Steve Welk can't have an adult conversation without being a dick, by his own admission, without joking. And everything that's happening here is simply because Welk and Brunson and, and, and they're just being dicks. They're spending millions of dollars to take away a club's patch. Think about that. Millions of dollars for a patch. And that was Steven Stubbs talking about the Mongols patch case. If you want to see more of this uh, interview with him on the video form, you can go to his YouTube channel, Steven Stubbs. The number one internet biker radio show is now available on Spotify and all major platforms including iHeartRadio, iTunes, Stitcher, and more. Don't forget to become a subscriber on any one of these platforms so you can be notified right away when our weekly episode is uploaded so you never miss an episode. Don't wanna fuck with your mouth all glued up with honey juice. I asked you a question. Oh my god, this girl's really turning me on. Suck me sideways. Are you gonna pull those pistols and whistle Dixie? Hollywood's motorcycle madhouse on iHeartRadio. This article by David Walters. One club had two of the best MC life photographers who ever lived this life. Danny Lyon and Jim Flash 1%er Mittiff were members of the Outlaws MC. I want to focus this time on Jim as a Midwest kid. I always felt the connection to the works of both Jim Flash 1%er and Danny Lyon. Even though I am far younger, to me, their images captured more of that grit and grind of the Midwest. I couldn't, can't relate to the more glitz and sun I'd see in other works. Is that accurate? Maybe not. Only my interpretation. I always thought that doing a post on both Danny and Jim was important for education. Too often, their pictures are used interchangeably, as if there is no difference between the two men, their styles, or what they captured. Some might say, who cares, it all ends up representing the same thing. I care. Jim was born in 1933 and spent time working at the Ford plant. 
Out of his house, he was running his own motorcycle shop. Being quite the mechanic and builder, he soon started several custom parts companies, turning a de decent profit. This allowed him to pursue a passion he had always had, photography, eventually starting his own print shop. Jim lived in the Detroit area in 1965, would be a founding member of the Outlaws MC Detroit chapter. Running a motorcycle business out of your house makes you the de facto clubhouse in those early days. For his club, Jim would help to build some memorable and incredible bikes. At times, sweeping award stages at Midwest bike shows. The bond he found in the club life was something he cherished. It was something he wanted to capture, something he could pass it on. He wanted to share it as a gift with his family and brothers. His gift was through the lens of a camera. He had that respect, that trust in a world that can be secretive and closed off. Even for members, Jim respected this. He didn't share his photographs with the public. For almost 40 years, they sat stored, captured in a moment of time. These images provided glimpses of the best aspect of what it was like to be an outlaw one percenter during one of the classic and defining periods of this life, the 60s. By 1969, Medif was seeing a decline in his custom motorcycle parts business due to his affiliation with a single club and dealing with many different clubs in his business. Between that and family obligations, he decided to leave Outlaws. His daughter, Beverly, grew up knowing of her dad's love for the club, the brotherhood, and the machine. After Jim passed in 1999, some of the family worried more about what to do with his money as owning several businesses and made him successful. Luckily for you and I, Beverly didn't have that issue. She wanted the pictures. She wanted to work with the club and find a respectful way to publish them and to bring her dad's images and the stories they tell to life. I'm glad she did. I'm glad they did. Her three books, Portraits of the American Biker's Life in the 1960s, Portraits of the American Bikers Outside Looking In, and The Bikers, The Men, Machine, and Myth are three classic works of what being a one percenter in the 60s was about. No matter your club or dot on the map, these are the images that stoke a fire in all of us. They produce not only an imagine in our mind, but something in our hearts of brotherhood that desire the ride. I often wonder if Jim and Danny knew of each other. Did they meet in passing? There is no known record if they interacted or knew of each other's works. At the time, Danny was leaving the club as Jim was coming in. Danny was a known journalist and activist at that point. Jim had no idea yet what his passion would lead to. I find it amazing to think about that these two, who would go on to become icons, might not never even have known each other. The book titles and pictures here are, of course, property of Beverly Roberts and her company, Flash Productions. She continues in her father's legacy as a photographer for the Michigan COC. I always say I don't give a shit which team you root for when it comes down to history. Just enjoy it. It's bigger than all of us. I understand as well as you, the territory 
politics, feuds, friendships, and political issues that go into what we love and do. But the history of our life transcends all of that. It binds us, if only for a minute. So shut the fuck up. <laughs> and that is David Walters. You can read the rest of it on Insane Throttle Biker News. Insane Throttle and Motorcycle Madhouse would like to welcome our newest sponsor, Arcane Rebel Apparel. Arcane Rebel Apparel is a street brand out of Southern Cal, rocking out designs from out of the garage, offering a unique style specifically directed towards the biker community abroad. Family owned and operated by the artist with a vision of quietly standing out from the crowd. The goal is simply to hustle freedom threadwear. Original graphics on the best quality garb. RK Rebel Apparel offers custom runs of caps, shirts, hoodies, bandanas, die cut, decal, pins, and more. All garments are strictly designed, printed, and packaged in the US of A. Shipping to anywhere in the country. Support Arcane Rebel Apparel by following on Facebook. Keep a lookout for the new winter designs. Type in the search box A-R-C-A-N-E Rebel Apparel for more information. I'd be willing to bet you a handful of sticky nickels that you ain't heard about the great deals we got going on down here at Transcentus Shoppers right now in Love's Park. How about six months of winter storage for only 200 bucks? We also got a bunch of great deals on custom parts, too. With our full machine shop, we make everything right here in-house. Handlebars, exhaust, sissy bars, frames, we do it all. We're your one-stop shop. So give us a call at 815-978-1228 and let us know what we can do for you. Transcended Shoppers, built with pride, built to ride. Hey, this is James Hollywood Machikari. Hop on over and check out our new YouTube channel where you can hear Motorcycle Madhouse and watch the Biker Angle. You can look up the new channel by going to our website, HarleyLiberty.com, or Insane Throttle Biker News in the YouTube channel search bar. Don't forget to have that prospect hit the subscribe button and that bell in the upper right-hand corner so you will always be up to date with the new channel content. Motorcycle Madhouse with James Hollywood Machi Curry. Yep, yep, good to yep. go. I would Motorcycle Madhouse on iHeartRadio. And now we got Dave Walters on the line, and he's going to be uh, talking with us about the veterans' viewpoint on this subject. How you doing, Dave? I'm good. How are you, Hollywood? Yeah, pretty good, man. Well, I was talking about earlier how this country seems to be leaving its vets behind. And I wanted to get uh, an opinion from a vet themselves. If you can give me uh, some of your thoughts on uh, what you think is facing the vets right now. Yeah, you know, I spent uh, I spent 10 years in the service, um, you know, and I had a lot of good times. I uh, I certainly think that coming out of high school, it was probably the uh, the only option for me. And the military gave me a lot of good things. I think with any business or industry or whatever you want to call it, like the military, that's as big as it is, um, you're going to have good and bad. Um, it's no different than riding a motorcycle or working for Amazon, I'm sure. It's just there's, there's shit that sucks and there's stuff that's great. Right. Uh, you know, the service gave me a lot of good stuff. I got my education for free. My kids would get their education for free and stuff like that. But at the same time, 
you know, you see issues like, why are we fighting, you know, well, I'm an, I'm an Afghan and Iraq veteran, and, and we're still here in Afghanistan, which is fine with me. But as I see my, my friends go back for the umpteenth time, I, why? What's our, what's our end game? What's our, what's our strategy? And it seems like, it, depending on which way you lean left or right, it's, it, it, they, you know, they, they foot around it and they don't want to tell you, you know, here's what we're doing or, you know, let us go and, and do these things. And, you know, they put you know, new rules every time you deploy. There's some new, you can do this or you can't do that or you can say this or you can't say that or you can bring this, you can't bring that. Um, and it makes it frustrating for the guy on the ground, for just the small guy. Um, you come home and the public is very much, well, what are you still doing there? You know, and some people are, are great. And, and I think that we have it a lot better than our Vietnam forefathers had before us. And, and we shouldn't take that for granted. Um, but we still see the public that, that doesn't understand or maybe ridicules. And then, you know, of course, there's the VA. <laughs> you, you know, you, you get a 50-50 shot of, of getting what you got uh, when you go in there, of them getting it right. Um, and sometimes you go to the VA and they're, they're fucking they're phenomenal. And sometimes you go to the VA and they'd like to leave with your liver still intact. Right. Well, you know what? Earlier in the show, uh, I just played a video where uh, a soldier, he was, uh, I think, a Green Beret uh, Special Forces. He actually went into uh, the hospital uh, for a checkup. I guess he had to have a CT and a full ride checkup uh, to go into the unit he was going to go into. And uh, they missed a cancer mass in his lungs. And six- yeah, and you, you hear stories like that all the time. And six months later, it became lethal where they can't do no. nothing about it. Now, uh, the government has a law where soldiers cannot uh, sue the government for medical malpractice. Now, how is that taking care of our soldiers who went over there and fought and were in places like Iraq and Afghanistan like yourself? And, you know, I was explaining earlier that, you know, 435 people are in the House of Representatives, 100 in the Senate, and an uh, army of bureaucrats uh, within the government. But it seems like uh, only a small amount of people uh, run this government and they got a bunch of sheep following them. And here we got, uh, you know, our war vets that uh, are, well, vets in general. Uh, sleeping on the streets, uh, having a hard time getting medical care, and they're out there worried about uh, illegal immigrants and uh, their supposed rights. Yeah, I think you know, I think something that that hopefully is is starting to trend upwards is we see, or at least it takes a more public, um, um, more public persona, is vets starting to get into things like running for for Congress or Senate seats or running just you know even for representatives in maybe their districts or something like that. And I hope that that continues to, to trend upwards. I mean, cause if we're not doing that, if we're not proactive, it's just like motorcycle profiling projects and stuff like that. If we're not out there, you know, taking the lead and, and just taking that shit, people might, they're going to forget about you, whether they, whether they need to or not. I think, you know, when you're dealing with such a large, like you said, there's 400 and some odd representatives in the house and stuff like that. It's such a small number of veterans. There's such a small number of motorcycle riders. Those issues might get lost to them, whether they mean to or not. You're not you're not having somebody you're not having enough numbers that kind of have that experience dealing with that or being a veteran of what issues might um, might come up. I mean, there's there's many things like you mentioned, you know, the over the overhaul in, in the VA healthcare. Um, being a vet, I've never had to go to you know I know 
you know, some of the UW hospitals or, or something like that. So I don't, what do I know to, to compare it to? And I, like I said, it's, it's hit and miss. Sometimes I have the best service in the world. Sometimes you're lucky to leave with your leg. Um, you know, so why don't we have, you know, what kind of oversight do we, do we have on that and those things? Now you, uh, fighting for this country and stuff. And I know a lot of people are getting, uh, kind of, uh, disheartened the way this country is going right now, because we do got the two party system and it seems like, well, I was talking earlier in the last, you know, ever since George W or HW, we've had, uh, almost 20 years of a Clinton and a Bush in, uh, the white house running the government. I don't think, and not, uh, even go there. We had people serving 40 or 50 years in the Senate and uh, the House, I do not think our forefathers actually intended for a monarchy to happen. And it seems like now it's only a small percentage of people that run this country. And the American people are turning into sheep. You know, they just go out there and vote on party line because uh, that's what the news media tells them. And we all know the news media now is basically a propaganda machine for one party or the other. And Americans got lazy. And, you know, right now you see that thing going on over in France where the uprising's happening. And you got to wonder if, you know, that's coming to a, a street near you in the United States soon if this keeps up. Yeah, <laughs> I hope I don't have to wear a yellow vest or a green vest. I think I, I had done with that wearing that high vis stuff in the Army. Right. <laughs> But uh, but yeah, you know you're 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 absolutely right. Um, I think we get so much of our news nowadays from social media or, or TV or whatever that we don't want to. Too many of us don't want to dig in on our own. Um, I think you know, and again, they, to, to relate it back to motorcycles, I mean, the general public at large, they see this great new book come out from Terry Dobin or whatever her name is, you know, um, about the bad side of the motorcycle world. Well, that's all the shit they read. They don't read any of those awesome books that are out there, you know, about the history and and what where this where this culture actually comes from or some of the great people that have been involved in it, they want to read about that criminal that wants to just write a book or something like that. And I can, you know, you can see that anywhere in, in any current event. I mean, people go on Facebook and, and they click the shit that most fits with their view and they swear that that's the gospel, that's the Bible. And if you disagree with them, you lean left, you lean right. And, and we don't want to dig into the, into the mud, so to speak, and, and come up with our own facts anymore. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, right now, uh, the big news story over the weekend is uh, this Bob Mueller, or Mueller, or whatever the hell his name is, Russia, 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 or is Trump guilty of paying off a freaking hooker, which, you know, everybody knows that the establishment... I just want to say right now, I am definitely guilty of paying off a hooker to during my military career. <laughs> the U.S. Army is listening. I apologize for that. It was Germany, the red light district. You start in one end and they got a country down here and you can work your way through all the countries as you walk down the red light district and I apologize. <laughs> right. Well, my point being is he's an outsider and you can see how all these career politicians are going after him. And that really should tell everybody what this country's really came down to, it's come down to a deep state and the rich uh, running this country. And just uh, last week, now that's the type of stuff that is in the news. But what wasn't in the news was three of our soldiers got killed over in Afghanistan by an IED. You know, they get a little yeah. back page uh, thing in the back of the newspaper. But the people actually fighting for this country, they get a little snippet. You know, they don't even get mentioned, but this other crap that really don't matter to us, 
you know, this Russia, Russia shit. We all know, or those old enough to know, like our age, knows Russia's been doing this crap since 1945. And the Democrats are just using it as a freaking uh, ploy to get political points. You know, because Americans are not smart enough to think for themselves. And I think that's really dangerous when it comes to this country, because we're already split. What's your thoughts on that? You know, I, I agree with you. Like I said, I, you know, as a vet, it, sometimes you get you get tired of seeing your brothers kind of push to the back page um, when something tragic like that does happen. Um, there's the same thing. I think there was a week ago or two weeks ago, um, one of those large contractors overseas had their entire compound hit, and I think there was like 15 or something like that that were injured or, or KIA, and, and that kind of stuff gets a, a blurb while, you know, something like, what can we impeach the president for takes up, you know, three-hour blocks of, of time. And it, and it can be frustrating. I mean, not even that I, I want to get political or that I, you know, only want to hear about that stuff, but I would love to hear about good things going on in the community or other things going on around the world and instead of wasting three hours on, on which way you should lean politically. I mean, I think there's so many more things that we could be educated on or talking about um, that would make a difference. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, you now you look at uh, the French right now because this is everywhere right now. You got a lot of people out there uh, actually encouraging this because uh, you had Macaron on today actually begging employers to give bonuses because he's taxed them to death. But uh, when it comes back to the United States, uh, do you see something like that in the future? <laughs> I don't know. Um, you know, I've lived overseas, and I, and I could, and I've seen the difference um, in living in Europe and the European Union and things like that, and living in the states. Um, I, I don't. Um, you know, you see the stuff right now. Every, uh, you know, I'm sure people. You open up a history book or whatever, you can see what went on in the, the counterculture and the revolution of the '60s and things like that. And, and could that happen again um, on, on such a large scale across, you know, we see what's going on in college campuses or what's going on in the streets with different protests and things like that. But could it ever go to the scale that, that it is right now in France? And, and I don't know how to answer that. Cause I just, I, I could say yes. I could say no. I think, I think he can go either way at this point. Right. Well, you know, the reason I'm asking is because as bikers, we got a case going on right now in California and the government is overreaching, and they know they're overreaching, and they're just using it as a predicate to go after the other motorcycle clubs out there. And people yeah, and need to is, know how is, dangerous that is. Yeah, and this is what the third or fourth time that they've that they've done this um, to the specific club. You know, our, you know, um, in one form or another, where they've tried to take the trademark or the patch and, and make it illegal just to even associate and stuff like this, or these. You know, people complain, um, you know, you'll see it a lot on, on different news agencies about these stop and frisk laws. I mean, this is essentially the same thing. I mean, this is a, a license for any type of police officer to, to stop and, and frisk you, harass you, interrogate you, take an info card, whatever you want to call it, just because of who you associate with, whether that's a patch, whether that's a support logo, anything like that. And, and whether we're worried about if we're left or right in our politics, we should definitely pay attention to that because where does that end now? You know, I mean, you can say how far down the rabbit hole does that go, but we've already seen that that we are more than willing to spy on each other here in, in the states. Um, you know, taking someone's right to fly is, is just the next step in kind of crumbling that that right to privacy or that right to association or that right to, to free speech and, and everything. 
Right, right. And, uh, you know, down in Texas, and you're talking about stop and frisk, man, it's getting like Queensland down there in Texas where, you know, the cops want to get anybody and everybody they can into a database. And you got a lot of these people, uh, especially on the Internet. And you and I know because, you know, we've been on the streets and stuff like that that uh, most of them are woofing. I call it woofing. You know, they want to get out there. They want to get their voices heard. And they'll take the counterpoint of what's going on just so they can get their uh, points heard. But, uh, you know, because they go out there, well, clubs, they're criminal this. Now they're getting payback, stuff like that. And I really don't think they understand what the, the club life is or the biker lifestyle life is. Yeah, and, I, you know, what I've seen versus what you probably saw when you were coming up is probably night and day. Um, I think, you know, like any job, you have to justify your budget occasionally. Um, and I think sometimes that's what they're guilty of, whether they want to admit it or not. Um, you know, a cop makes a good salary. <laughs> whether they want to talk about it or not with some overtime, you got a cop that can be making six figures. Right. you got to justify what you're doing. Where's that money? Why is it worth that money? And if you can put up things like, drugs or this or that or stopping bikers or loud pipes or burnouts or whatever the hell you're gonna you're gonna fabricate to make your dime you want to make sure that your family's gonna eat no different than i want to make sure that my job is going to be funded tomorrow uh that doesn't make it legit that doesn't make it right but you know let's call it what it is sometimes i think that's definitely a large part of, of what it what it sees and it's it's sexy if you bust a biker, that's sexy. That's on TV. That's on the History Channel. That's got all this shit. If I just bust a gangbanger, nobody really cares. Right. Let's be real. Right. You right. want that attention. You want you want that look at me. This is what my police force is doing. And if you don't have that, your police force goes away. Exactly. And, you know, I love it how some of these uh, counterpointers, you, you know, I call them Leo uh, pole suckers. Uh, like going out there and uh, trying to, you know, give a blanket on a whole one percenter club is criminal, blah, blah, blah. When this couldn't be furthest from the truth, you know. So anyway, what kind of and, misconceptions uh, do you really uh, think people have benefit and we're about be, uh, one talking about history? history. What, uh, you know, how wrong well, you know, are they really? I'm not a one percenter. Um, to my knowledge, I'm not going to speak that much on it. Um, I think, you know, as a history buff, which is what I am. Can we pause right there and things like that? It could pause some of the stuff. And if you're able to do that, I got to do one thing real quick. I call you back and like find the reference thing. Yeah, sure. 99 clubs that are referencing obsolete, obscure clubs that, that aren't 1% clubs, passing off this, this bias that they have or this, this thing that they read on, on some cheesy internet site that, that right. the fact because I read it here exactly for themselves. I think if you're going to talk about anything, you should have to go to a party. You should have to go to a run. You should have to throw a leg over a Harley Davidson. Whatever. If you're going to be involved in something or talk about it, you should have to do it because that is just the quickest way to clear up misconceptions. And I don't think enough people do that. Right, right. Now, you can clear one up. Now, AMA, they used to be the sanctioning body back in the day. And the reason why Outlaw came up was because if you weren't, you know, running their sanctioned events, they would call you an Outlaw club, is that correct? Absolutely. So if you didn't if you didn't pay dues to the AMA and you ran a race, they considered you an Outlaw um and or an Outlaw club. And back in the day, they actually kind of turned it into a game. I think in the late 30s, early 40s, they had a trophy and different clubs, um, for example, like the um, like the Moonshiners and the uh, 
and stuff, stuff like that out of Compton out in California, they would have races where they would present a, a trophy to the top, like I think it was like 13 uh, outlaw clubs that weren't AMA certified that would race and they had a trophy and they even had like a patch made up that was in the shape of a diamond and things like that. And so, yeah, it really kind of originated from the AMA pressuring you to, to pay these dues to be a part of the organization. And then if you weren't um, kind of blackballing you or trying to come up with labels for you that, you know, it was less than flattering. Um, in 2018, if you called me a hooligan or an outlaw or something like that, your chest might pop out. But in 1937, this was, this was insulting. This was, let's, let's take off our leather gloves and, and throw down. And, and that's kind of where it comes from. Wow. Rock on. When do you think uh, the AMA started losing its relevance? You know, I don't know that it's lost its relevance. I think I think that we're as guilty as, as the AMA is of kind of clouding the the distinction. Um, the AMA does some great stuff. I love some of their field meets. I love some of the I love motocross racing and stuff like that that they put on. I think you know they did definitely burn a bridge. I guess if you want to put it that way with with a certain crowd um, from the early days and kind of trashing reputations or names, so to speak, or throwing people out of events and things like that. Um, I think they have a lot of, I think they have a lot more ground to cover um, maybe than some people that are anti-AMA. Um, but I think they do a lot of really good things. I think, you know, they still, they still work on passing legislation. Um, so like I said, some of the events that they still put on, um, there's historical clubs out there that are still awesome that are AMA sponsored. Um, look at the, uh, the 13 rebels. We did an article on them, um, a few months ago. Right. They're still AMA chartered. Right. So I think the AMA, it does a lot of good things. And I think people sometimes get convoluted in this, this myth uh, that is, you know, kind of the mystique of Hollister in the early days of like outlaw confederation clubs, racing and things like that. And it kind of just, with anything, it just kind of grows over time. Rock on. What do you think? What do you got uh, coming up on uh, Friday, man? Well, uh, how many beers do I get to have first? No, man, you get to drink as much as you want, man. We get all play. <laughs> yeah, that, might, that, might, that might tailor the, uh, the conversation. But no, I, you know, like I said, for me, I love the history. I'm not um, a 1% guy, anything like that. I'm just here because I love the history. I love the race. I love kind of that old school tradition behind things. Um, I love the brotherhood, especially being a, a veteran and a combat veteran. And I think being involved in the community should be a byproduct of that as much as you can be. Um, coming out and supporting people that have been in accidents or victims of profiling and stuff like that. It, support our own. Um, if you were still in the service, that's exactly what you would do. You would be there for a brother that, that was hurt or went down. Or, you know, if a brother was going through some shit, you know, you would be there to, to have his back. And I think it's important that we get out there and do that, whether you knew the person or not. If it's, in, if it's close to your area, you should, you should make an attempt because tomorrow could be me. It could be you. It could be anybody. This is Butch Popeye Moss with Texas Biker Radio, defenders of the Constitution. We have a new YouTube channel, Texas Biker Radio. Join us, subscribe. Thank you for listening. Hello, my name is Alex, but my friends call me Tombstone. And I've been given an opportunity to talk about a great custom merchandise company called Dirty Sand Productions. It's a company that some fellow veterans and I have started. We produce all kinds of custom and promotional merchandise, only using the highest quality that we can find for you. We believe that you should be giving your ideas the life they deserve by working with our graphic designers to extract them from your brain. Get a free quote by emailing us at DirtySam86 at gmail.com. That's DirtySam, the numbers 86, at gmail.com. 
and we'll give your ideas the life they deserve. Hey there, this is Hollywood from the gorgeous ladies of wrestling, and you're listening to Hollywood on Motorcycle Madhouse. Want to keep up with all my projects? Then head on over to my Twitter account, at Glow Hollywood. And don't forget to listen to Motorcycle Madhouse every Tuesday and Saturday on all iTunes, iHeartRadio, and all major podcasting platforms. Hey, how you doing? This is New York with Out of the Box, O-U-T-T-A-D-A, BoxClothingAndProducts.com. We make custom t-shirts and other apparel. We have Uma shirts. Motorcycle shirts, hoodies and tees, fitness-related shirts, inspirational wear, custom watches, and almost anything else you can think of. And if we don't have what you like, just shoot us a message and we'll bring your own ideas to life. Contact us. Take it easy. Hey, this is James Hollywood Machikari. Hop on over and check out our new YouTube channel where you can hear Motorcycle Madhouse and watch the Biker Angle. You can look up the new channel by going to our website, HarleyLiberty.com, or Insane Throttle Biker News in the YouTube channel search bar. Don't forget to have that prospect hit the subscribe button and that bell in the upper right-hand corner so you will always be up to date with the new channel content. Motorcycle Madhouse with James Hollywood Machikari. Yep, yep. Good to yep. go. Hollywood's Motorcycle Madhouse on iHeartRadio. Corey's question is, and this is a really good question, uh, Insane Throttle uh, Motorcycle Magazine say the Mongols lose and the other big clubs are next. Do you think there will be a negative effect on the club scene because there's nobody to enforce the rules or bylaws, or do you think... Everything will keep rocking on the scene like normal. Well, that's a great question, Corey. And one, right now, the jury has the case with the Mongols, and it hasn't been decided yet. Actually, the jury got the the case uh, last Friday, and I think there was a couple days there where they weren't deliberating. But the longer they deliberate, it's always best for the defendants, which is the Mongols in this case. And yes, it will have far-reaching implications if the government wins this case. Because guess what? Who's next? You got the other big one-percenter clubs like uh, the Angels, the Outlaws, Pagans, uh, Sons of Silence, all of them. Because you know the feds are going to go out there and try the same crap if they get precedent. Now, do I think if they win the case... There's going to be appeals and stuff, and then it'll get overturned. Well, yeah, because right now they know they're reaching in thin air, and a lot of copyright lawyers have said the same type of stuff. You know, you got to use the trademark to actually, you know, have it be viable and be able to keep it. So what's the government going to do? Go around, uh, you know, enlisting everybody to be Mongols and stuff if it wins? No, of course they're not. So, you know, I just think it's a, you know, a far reach in the air. Yeah, they might get something if they win the freaking initial case, but it's going to go in uh, to appeals. And I guarantee it'll probably eventually lose because you can't take away somebody's First Amendment right if they did nothing wrong. Sure, some people in a club does stuff wrong. We will admit that all the time. But 
There's a few bad apples everywhere. As you know, we've been doing a series with cops where every day I can pick out a crime that they're getting arrested for or sentenced to prison for, and most of those crimes are usually worse than what uh, these crimes happen with uh, the one percenters. <laughs> we going to start recoing the police department? Come on. You know, let's use our brains and stuff like that. But let's use the hypothetical, uh, what Corey's asking here. Uh, say all the one percenters, uh, all the dominants lose their patches. Okay, let's uh, see that. Right now, if you look at Queensland or in Oz, uh, this stuff's happening all over the place over there. And it hasn't stopped nothing. What happens is the government is forcing everything underground. So, and, you know, me, you know, I like using common sense a lot. If the government, uh, you know, you know who everybody is by the patch. So you take that away, then you know nothing. And it just goes underground, and that's the way it's going to be. And it's a vibrant freaking uh, club community over there, Corey. So I don't think uh, the government taking that uh, that step, if they do win, is going to change anything in the club scene. And I think that goes to the next question that I got, Dan. Uh, this is from, uh, DJ Vegas. Uh, look, we have a bigger fish to fry other than our own. And now also we have the patch police, something that really needs to be addressed. And the first thing I will, uh, talk to on that is for those who are going out there calling, uh, you know, the patch police or something needs to be done, go do it. If that's the way you feel, go do it. See where you get. Because you're not going to change 70 years worth of history. And this is the problem we run into. And I'm not talking about the, the questioner. Because, every you know, it's a good question. And, you know, a lot's been put out there by these other channels that they claim that, you know, we need to do this or we need to do that. First off, you have to understand with uh, these YouTube channels or these social media that they, they do this kind of stuff so they can earn money. Let's be honest, okay? With uh, you know what? Let's put insane throttle into this stuff here. You know, we have our uh, HarleyLiberty.com site that is huge. It's the number one news uh, uh site out there for biker news. Yes, we make money on ads over there. We make money for getting people over there, and uh, the same for YouTube. Yeah, we get uh, money as uh, you know how many people watched uh, the commercials with the YouTube and stuff. We get a cut with that. So let's be honest, at least before we even address this issue, you got guys out there trying to cause all kinds of controversy. But when it comes down to it, when they get on the streets, it's a whole different story. See, you don't get to see that on YouTube. You don't get to see that on uh, Facebook or these other social media sites because that's just not the real world. See, they got their little world here on YouTube or Facebook where they can spew this kind of crap and get you to get behind them, get them listeners, get, the, get them all kinds of views on their videos, and that makes them money. But, you know, let's take Black Dragon, uh, TV. Now, he did one on that one guy out of New Mexico. I ain't even going to give him publicity by mentioning his name. 
Now, I've seen a lot of you saying, well, you got it out of order. You know, he said that kind of stuff a year before he said this. It don't matter, okay? It really don't matter what order it was. He said what he said, and I guarantee you right now, if he was on the streets and it happened again, the same shit would go down. Because, let's face it, you're not going to go out there again and change 70 years worth of stuff. You can call for all the revolutions you want. But let's face it, most bikers nowadays, you're nine to fivers, man, you know, where you got the club guys and you got to remember this club guys live, breathe this stuff every single day. It's in their blood. It's in their heart. It's in their veins. It's everything they are. And when it comes to the streets, you just can't go out there and uh, say, well, we need a revolution. And you're going to get your ass kicked. Let's be honest. You're going to get stomped. And you're probably going to end up going and calling the cops because that's what they do. <laughs> Instead of backing up what they say they're going to do. Okay, let's have a revolution. Well, it's good to have a revolution when it's somebody else's ass on the line and not yours. Okay, it's good to go out there and spread all this kind of stuff on social media and it's not their ass, it's yours. Because guaranteed, one of you guys go up there who are following one of these guys spouting off this stuff. Go up to a patch holder and say, you know, this ain't right, this ain't right. You're going to get your freaking dome cracked is what's going to happen. And then you're going to go and cry and whine about getting your dome cracked. See, a lot of people, when they come into this lifestyle, they come into it when, you know, they're 30, 40, 50 years old. Uh, there's no debating that. That's what happens. That <laughs> We've seen it with the rub invasion in the 90s. And you know what? I pick on rubs all the time. But, you know, like I said, there's different subcultures in the biker community. But when one of them subcultures try to cross the line into another subculture that's been around for so long and expect to change it, you're in for a rude awakening right there. You know, and now... The Patch Police. Oh. <laughs> Again, really? <laughs> the Patch Police? No, you're just pissed off because somebody told you on the internet this ain't the way it's supposed to be, where they're full of shit. Again, you're not changing 70 years worth of history because you don't like it. So, for those out there who say we have to do something about it, Go do something about it if you feel froggy. That's all I can tell you. You're going against organizations that's been around forever, and they've been around for reasons. So if you you think you to do something, well, get on your soapbox and go do you, man. That's the best I can tell you. And uh, with that, uh, hopefully I answered the question for you guys. Well, that's it for this week's episode of Motorcycle Madhouse. Don't forget to go over to New Insane Throttle's new YouTube channel and check me out over on Biker Angle. Also get your daily dose of biker news every morning at HarleyLiberty.com. If you haven't done so already, go like the new Motorcycle Madhouse Facebook page. And until next week, I'm James Hollywood Machikari. And remember, keep that throttle cracked wide open. 
holiday tips, and wine stories from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine and More. Did you know there are over one million bubbles in a glass of champagne? Here's to a whole lot of celebrating. Crisp whites like a floral Sauvignon Blanc pairs perfectly with shrimp cocktail and other light appetizers. Now that's how you kick off a holiday meal. Don't stress about choosing the right wine for a meaningful gift. Consider me your wine concierge. As you check off that gift list this holiday season, we'd love to share our always low prices and ridiculous selection at Total Wine and More. Cheers. Calling all podcasters, musicians, vloggers, and reporters, and everyone else who wants crystal clear recording that's super portable. The Shure Motive family of microphones makes studio quality audio that's as simple as plug and play. Many of the world's top podcasters rely on Shure, and with a Motive line of iOS and USB microphones, portability is now your friend. Imagine being able to get great audio quickly and easily from your phone, tablet, or computer. Simply visit shure.com slash motive to start getting great audio for your content now. That's shure.com forward slash M-O-T-I-V.